0: My lap. hey what's up y'all this is black loud proud and this is straight yak no motherfucking chaser um generally my podcast can be about a, a plethora of things but throughout the month of may I'm focusing on all things as it relates to black mental health. And this week, the second week in May, um, I invited one of my dear friends and brothers onto the show um, to discuss issues that black men um, encounter with mental health. And I felt like as a woman, I can't really say anything about um, how the brothers deal and struggle with those things or don't deal with those things, so my guest this week is none other than Mr. Willie Lynch. You gotta bounce when you say the junior. Welcome, Willie.
1: It's Willie Lynch Junior. Bounce when you say the junior. It ain't Willie Lynch. It ain't right. When you say the junior. Okay.
0: You know what I'm saying.
1: Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. What's up? How y'all doing? Mm-hmm. I'm here. Do you I'm, <laughs> oh,
0: Listen, I don't need this lecture about how he's going to kill me, okay? I don't need that this week. I already know.
1: Well, you know, if you do better, you'll do better.
0: Not this week. Maybe next
1: week. Uh, keep on playing.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, um... So... What, what... Yeah, okay, go I'll ahead. No, you tell me... You... No, I'm you just... what, what... I'm you just here so I don't get fired. Who is you, Marsha, Blitz, Julie? No. So like, what, so like, ask me a question and then I answer. Cause I'm I'm already a little sad right now. So you got to excuse me. I just left, baby. So, oh, crazy. Yeah. that's.
0: I mean, I don't even have to ask. Like, it just flows right into it. That's. You know what? That's crazy. So today. I was at work, not working, and I was reading about <clears throat> this guy, I don't know his ethnicity. His name was kind of weird and the way he looked is weird, I don't know. Um, but the dude like shot these people in Montgomery County like right outside of DC the other day. Uh-huh. And he started the night before. And he went on this rampage and like killed his wife at, like, the school while she was picking up her kids. And then the next day, he, like, knock off this lady and take her car. He goes to the mall. He shoots these people. And he started making me think of the D.C. Sniper. And I was like, yo, how crazy is this idea that the D.C. Sniper got this young bull to help him execute all of these random murders not only in the DMV, but I think they killed some people in like the state of Washington and Florida and some shit. They did all of this, this shooting and killing for over 23 days just off the strength that his ex-wife wouldn't let him see his kids. So he was like, if I kill her ass, <laughs> then I can I can have my kids. And if I kill all these random ass people, they won't think I killed. And I was like, yo, like, he might have had some mental issues going on, but at the end of the day, even how fucked up it was, like, he essentially said he did all of that because he loved his kids
1: and wanted to see him. Well, when it comes to that, um, even though I haven't dealt with that, and uh, I'm certain I'm not going to have to deal with it, uh, because I'm about to be a dad now. Uh, I don't know if you saw me post. (laughs) You didn't see it? it. I
0: missed the post. Damn. Well, happy Father's Day, goddammit.
1: Yeah. yeah. My baby will be here in September, inshallah. So mm. um uh and it's a boy, too.
0: I'ma steal some books from the library for that baby. Go ahead, all right. Yeah. Now.
1: But um but no, I was talking to one of the brothers yesterday and he was telling me how difficult sisters can make it on brothers when it comes to seeing their kids and how it can drive you crazy. Because a lot of times like see I don't I don't believe in separating, you know, um the plight of uh, the black man was, you know, separated from the of the black woman because we, you know, we want, like, we can't exist without the other. So black women out here mentally messed up and black men out here mentally messed up. And so, sometimes you got brothers who just don't do what they're supposed to do, you know, so they don't get to see their kids. And other times, you got sisters who just get so mad, they want to do this, and the brother out here ain't ready to commit because he's, you know, still been a child and playing around and doing whatever he's doing. And then, you know, the sister, you know, she pissed off, so, you know, she's trying to hurt him. You know, uh, my cousin was just telling me about this about his situation. You know, like, him and this old lady were together for, like, years. They had some kids. And they had two girls, and his old lady was just kind of started kind of tripping. And he was like, you know what? I can't deal with this no more. You know, this is not a healthy environment. I want to go. That's, to me, stop a divorce. And she just started doing all types of wild stuff, to you know, turning the kids against them. And, you know, it was a bunch of stuff. You know what I'm saying? Uh So a lot of times a brother can love his children. Like, you, you know, you're a black man in America. It's already hard on you. And it's like, it seems like they're making it even even tougher. So sometimes, you know, we we'd be up against that brick wall and we don't know what to do, so we just snap. You know what I mean? And mental health is something serious that we don't really ever talk about. You know, part of it is due to malnutrition. The other part of it is due to just being black in America. You know what I mean? I think the better portion of it is being black in America because it's hard as hell. Like, it's hard to even be a man in America and you're black. You know, like they almost strip your manhood from it. You. you know, and that's one of the things I think that's going on with this whole child support stuff. And don't get me wrong, I do know those brothers who are derelict in their duties and they're not taking care of their children and they need to be, you know, they need to be, get their for that. But at the same time, I feel like the child support thing is like almost a new thing to just literally just tie a black man's hands behind his back and cast for it. You know, Um and I'm a brother. Like, the stuff that I go through, you know, like, luckily I'm an entrepreneur. You know what I mean? Like, you know how difficult it is to a black man knowing you got a kid, or knowing you just got bills to take care of and knowing damn well it's all going to be impossible for somebody, you know, like, for you to get a good job, you know what I'm saying, where you can make a a, decent, a good living and take care of yourself and your family. Like, just because you're black, sometimes you can't, you can't even get those opportunities, to can't get the job. So sometimes we end up going off and doing stuff we ain't got no business doing, like robbing, stealing and all that other stuff. And it just wears you down mentally because you're like, I'm trying to it's get on my feet, I'm trying insightful. to get a good. One. It is,
0: and, it's and like, I think a
1: lot.
0: Of- I think I share different views on child support than than most women. Um, but I mean, it's not a it's not a new concept. Like in Africa in different, you know, situations. There's different, I mean, but we have a different value system and we hold each other accountable differently in Africa but it's like with this western concept of child support, it almost throws you into a position where if you're just not doing well if you're not doing well and can't just pay the money like off the rip and keep living your life then it kinda of puts you in a in a fucked up position because if they taking all your money out your check, then how are you supposed to maintain and make it by yourself or even in another household with another woman with a family? You kind of can't. And then it, like you said, it puts you up against the wall and then you just like, okay, well, maybe I could just hit this lick real quick. And now you in jail. And now it's like, oh, he ain't shit. He can't keep a job and do this, that, and the third. And now he's in jail. On top of the fact, if you don't, if you're not, if you're not paying the seal free that they take, your driver's license, privilege. How the fuck you gonna get to work?
1: <laughs> yeah, they take your driver's license. They take a passport. your passport.
0: Your new lady's supposed to take you. Damn, they take your passport? I didn't even know that.
1: Yeah, and I don't even get that far. I mean, like, I don't know. Would you think a nigga finna just take off and move to the Bahamas? If you can't pay child, support, the you make you, pay pay to, <laughs> yeah, what you think you Yeah, you think the nigga move to the Bahamas and become a fucking Baptist minister? So fuck no, he ain't going to pay to go over
0: I'm it. not saying those for... men shouldn't be hand, held accountable, because like you said, they should, but the way that system is set up, it is kind of fucked up. And it's fucked up that we even have to throw each other into that type of shit. Um, yeah, like, in general. And that's,
1: that's, the, and that's, that's the worst part. Um, I forget who it was. Somebody on my Facebook was saying, um... Uh, something happened where they, they put hurt, uh, the, the, the lady who, the sister who posted it, she was saying that, um somebody sent, uh, her husband, her brother, they put her on child, put him on child support, or uh, he had got third papers by going to court about custody or something. It was something silly, she was like, you know, this could have been done at home. You know, it didn't have to go to the judge. You know what I mean? And, I don't know, I just feel like it's part of that whole divide and conquer thing, but back, back to the mental health thing, like, I mean, I just said, back, I watch brothers who go through it not only because of the system we live in, but just because of that, you know, we eat bad foods. And that's you know, that's directly, it's a direct correlation with that and mental health. And then we don't want to talk about how many times you hear brother tell you, or hopefully come out and tell you, hey, I battled the pressure real bad. You know what I mean? They don't tell you. It's seldom. It is, you, you, it's yeah, seldom.
0: You. I know three black, black men in my life that I can think of off the top to have openly had a conversation about their depression with me specifically or just in general. And that's you, um, that's, um, brother Ian Biddle, who was supposed to be on with us. He out somewhere be a Batman and super dad, I'm sure. Um, and, and then like, you know, like this guy I've been, you know, like dating or whatever. And I, I'm like, wow, like that's like, that's huge. And it needs to happen more often because like you said, like, You know, it's taboo in our community in general. Like, it's not even often that black women do it, but it's like black men are so less likely to, one, um, even know that they're dealing with it, or two, if they are, to, like, actually be open um, about what they're struggling with um, for multiple reasons. Society says, as a man, you got to suck it up and, you know, take it. You can't be emotional you can't show weakness or whatever the case may be and it's like that's detrimental but I mean tell the people how you how you personally dealt with depression and that type
1: of stuff um well my story is actually uh... let me
0: open it up and I know who you are and I didn't ask you but tell the people who the fuck you are where are you from? What it is you do? All of that shit.
1: Uh, I'm from uh Africa and I sell loose Cigarettes and Earring back down in Memphis in uh funky town. I don't know if you ever heard of Funky Town, but that's where I be at. No, um uh, my name is uh I'm a comedian, my name is Willie Lynch Junior. Um, I'm a comedian and a historian. Um I went to Fisk University where I got my my BA and got my masters at Tennessee State. Um and I live in New York City now. I'm from East St. Louis, I live in Harlem. Uh and I do comedy and other random stuff. I'm just a weirdo and I'm an African. But yeah. That's who I'm here. You're
0: the fish Jubilee singer, right?
1: Hell no. no I could <laughs> I could have <laughs> been.
0: Listen. Them Jubilee singers kept the doors of Fish University open. You better show them, put some respect on their name.
1: Oh, no, I love the Jubilee singers. I'm just saying, like, I wish, I, 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 if I wasn't sick when I got to pick, I probably would try to do Jubilee singers. And I can actually sing. I want the best vocalist in high school, but I just, I'm just, i just too silly to just, just try to hold the note for real, for like, just get that thing for real. No, that's why I used to get kicked out of church and shit all the time, because I'd be the song, and i just have stuff like Jones, this. a couple jokes. I'm going to start saying the wrong, wrong lyrics and shit. I'm going to make up my own little words. So yeah, but I'm a comedian and stuff. So and,
0: you was like Kurt Franklin. Oh, okay.
1: Yeah, a little bit. But um, I I, I had a really bad bout with depression. I mean, you know, we, like as a human, you go through those things. But mine was a uh, believe chemically induced. When I was in college, I was like 21. Right after I turned 21, uh, I just noticed my whole life just changed. Like I wanted not being a happy-go-lucky person. You know, regular humans who was silly and just trying to make people laugh and like being around folks. So I was very gregarious. You know, a jovial dude, and I just remember, I don't know if it happened one day or it just happened over time. Um, I just I started just, so noticing I just started getting sad all the time, and I noticed I couldn't cut hair anymore. Um, I couldn't see straight, and I used to have anxiety attacks really bad. Like, if I would talk to more than one person at a time, like, I would freak out and I would have to excuse myself. I just I had I sweats and stuff. You know, I was at this. I wouldn't even leave leave my dorm room a lot of times. So I was. Just, that's how bad my depression was. And um, I was I was suicidal for two years. Um, and right before I'm you not know, doing Thanksgiving break, I was about to commit suicide in 2003. And I had gone home because it's like you know being in school was just too much. I, I was really overwhelmed. I wanted to have fun and all of this. And I was aware that something was wrong with me mentally. And physically too. So what I ended up finding out was I had like a minor stroke. Somebody I remember I got somebody laced my weed, uh, and I think it happened more than once. And it just sent me into a downward spiral. And I was very open about it. I would tell people all the time, like, hey, you know, I'm new I'm new here at Fifth this transferred and I was like, I wish y'all could really get to know me and see who I really am. I was like, I'm sick. I was like, so I'm a different person right now. And some people laugh. They didn't think I was serious, and then they the ones who did, they didn't understand what I was talking about because it was very difficult at that time for me to even articulate not only the fact that I was going through a deep, deep with depression, but I couldn't even articulate what really was going on and how it happened and how it came, came to be. And so some people thought I was kind of insane, you know, people thought I was bipolar and, you know, a hoax of things. It was embarrassing, you know, looking back on it. Um, and uh just imagine you know, you being a life part of your entire life. You're funny. You can do all these different things. People like you. You know, you can make fun of people whenever you want to. You can defend yourself and other people with your tongue verbally. And then all of a sudden, you just lose all of that shit. And you don't know what the hell happened to you. You know, I had no energy. I mean, I was like walking, like a zombie just walking around, man, in um, March 2005. March 31st, actually. Um, I Oh, even to go backwards. Like I was talking about um, that... The first semester after Thanksgiving break, um, one of the times I was, you know, really suicidal. And then um, I had gone home, and my mom and them had put me, they put me, the doctors put me on Zoloft. And so when I came back, you know, after, after Thanksgiving break, I started functioning better. I was able to talk and stuff, and I started having a little bit more fun. But the side effects of the medication was almost not worth my taking it. And uh, I was down for like two.
0: crazy as fuck.
1: Man. I'm telling like, how the fuck this shit gonna make me want to kill myself when well, it's supposed to make me not kill myself. Um but it it was bad, man. I was like that for two years and the worst part about it was like I wanted to die every other day. It wasn't every day I wanted to kill myself, but I was every other Because I was like, I can't live like this, man. And um when I was about to commit suicide my mom talked me out of it. So I called her, I was like, Hey, is it? I was like, I love you. I was like, But I cannot I don't know what the hell wrong with me and I can't live like this no more. And so she flew me home that day. And, uh, um, they took me to the hospital. Yeah, she got guy went in there. Hell no. My mom, he's St. Louis, Jack. She ain't had <laughs> nothing. It was $500 plane ticket. See how much money she didn't have. She ain't finally back to Nashville. I rode a 10 <laughs> speed back to the crew. <laughs> nigga, I'm going down the motherfucking highway with a goddamn 10 speed, nigga. You hear the same little bells, that little beast crew that, uh, Red had on Friday the Debo's stole from that motherfucker. <laughs> That's my bike punk. But, um, <laughs> it was, uh, it was bad, man. And, like, you know, when they took me to the hospital, they were saying they wanted to keep me there for about six weeks, put me in a psych ward, they were worried about my killing myself, all of this. And, like, I still had, like, a little hope. Because my was funny as hell, and she makes fun of anything we do wrong. And I was like, if I go in this hospital, even if I get out years later and I do, you know, I get back on my feet, she going to bring this shit up any time she feels like making fun of me. And so I was like, now I'm not going to go to the hospital. And what I did was I just stopped, you know, stopped smoking and started taking my medication because I was mixing marijuana with fucking Zoloft. And I don't know if that was a deadly combination, but I know it really wasn't helping me because my depression was still there and I still had those, those physical maladies. And so um, after 30 days of not smoking and only taking medication, the next 30 days I'm experimenting and not take medication and see if I could function without the Zoloft. And, uh, it's like every day I woke up looking around the corner waiting on that depression that spirit of depression to jump straight in my fucking body. And it never did and I've been back on my feet ever since. And I just think it's important for us um to not only talk about mental health but look at the things that cause mental issues. Um because that's our biggest problem. Talking about it is is, is okay, it helps in it therapeutic to an extent. But getting at the, the 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 root cause of depression is what we really need to look at. You know what I mean? And I think that's that's a big big thing, you know. Like I'm very conscious when it comes to my my eating habits and stuff. Like I don't go through those bouts anymore. Every now and then you get sad. Like right now I'm I'm just down. I'm excited because I'm having my first child. But the guy, the the, the little boy who's like my child, who's my ex girlfriend's uh her nephew. And I call him baby. And, Like I've been with him since he's little, since he was born. And I left Chicago. Like we all live in the same house. I left Chicago. Um, to chase my comedy dreams for a host of reasons, I got off and just left, and tried um, so to leave him. And of course, I was sad because I leave my girlfriend behind because we had been together forever. But honestly, like I was more sad about leaving him. And I would just be sometimes be in my in my apartment, you in know, in, in the little room I was renting because my roommate and I we slept in one bed. You know what I'm saying? This it's big motherfucker in my little ass in one bed, I'm sitting in the If y'all room, I'm can like, see aw. him. <laughs> yeah. I was like, I'm like, I can't, this is, I don't wanna be, I mean, I was just so sad about, you know, losing the baby. And, but I, I, I could deal with it. It wasn't the end of the world for you know. Um, it wasn't as bad as when it was chemical, uh, a chemical, uh, thing. So. I just think we need to look at the causes of it, which I believe is malnutrition. And then, of course, the system we live in. We know we're in the system, so once we're aware of that, that's what we mean, get that out of the way.
0: One thing that, that's that been going through my mind when you talk about mal, malnutrition being, you know, like one of the causes, it's like once you get down and you're actually depressed, how do you even pull yourself up? Like, what are you eating? What were you eating during that time? Like, you didn't want to cook. You didn't want to do shit.
1: Yeah, um, 'cause cause my roommate actually, that's how he ended up gaining all that weight. And of course he's losing it now, but you know, I asked him, how did you get that big? And he told me, you know, he went to Virginia State. He flunked out. His dad made a move to Mississippi <laughs> and started working like on the railroad or some bullshit. And he was just so depressed because he let his, his family down, let himself down, let his friends down. And the biggest thing is you're not, you're not on the yard with your partner. They kicking it. You hear me? You know what I'm saying? They at home come and turn up and you can't go back because you flunked out. So he just stayed in the house and just kept, you know, he kept eating and wouldn't leave his room. He just kept eating and then he ended up some more little beef. Um, so for me, back then, of course, I was eating meat and stuff. But um, I think my, my, my issue was because of when I got my laced, either it was a the weed they laced or, or somebody put some in my drink. Uh, cause I'm still trying to think it may have been a drink name, too. But uh, in terms of just nutrition now, like I see a lot of people that just, I mean, I got, you know, people that I know in comedy some of those irate, crazy motherfuckers in the game, you'd be like, what the fuck is wrong with this person? But if you connect the that, you see that, you know, overweight, you know what I mean? There's a relationship between, you know, obviously they're malnourished because they're overweight, and when you're malnourished, your brain can't function properly. You know what I mean? You're not getting enough iron, you're not getting oxygen to your brain, you know? So you can't think clearly, your mood's down, you know, you're melancholy. You know, like my dad's kind of like that, like, my dad and I are so much alike, but we're different at the same time. Like my dad and my relationship is like, you know, I don't know if y'all remember um, The Simpsons, Homer, homie, uh, what's his name? Crusty um, the Clown. Homer. Oh, Crusty no, the Clown. Crusty was a clown, his daddy was a rabbi. And his daddy hated the fact that his son was a fucking clown. You know, my dad used to be like, like, I was always silly. He'd be like, would, you, would you calm down? Would you be quiet? Do I want you to do? He was always this old, you know, uh, down the mouth type person to an extent. Um, and I was always just happy. And, uh you know, I believe if my dad got his, his nutrition together, he'd be all right. You know, of course, you, you know, I know because just talking to him, just growing up in America, like, it's just hard. And my dad, and I got killed when he was like six, 16 or 17. He got beat real bad by a gang called Warlords in St. Louis. You know, they damn near killed him. And one dude was going to shove an ice pick in his head, but it he just happened to miss like a few centimeters or some shit. You know, and then you get up and you're like, you know what, forget it. I'm going to drop out of college, out of high school. I'm not going to finish. I'm going to go to the military. My dad joined the Marines and then they sent him to Vietnam. So he in Vietnam, watch a motherfucker get their head blown off. He shoot that people. You know, his brother, arm get damn, this shot completely off his shoulder, you know, and turns him into an alcoholic. He ended up dying of, like, liver cancer a couple years back. And my other uncle, you know, he became an alcoholic because of the shit. Then you come back home after you've the long war, you know, and mm-hmm. then you still treat like a second-class citizen. You know, you can only get jobs at, you know, the menial capacity for the most part. You know, then you're dealing with, with
0: that. That yeah. affects the whole family because when you grow up in a home where your father came back from the war and that war and even, you know, certain traumas, like you just said, your father. Like, you know, that whole incident with the warlords, I'm sure that affected him in a certain way. Then it sent him to the military, and it's like all the things he saw there that he never dealt with or really processed, it's something that, you know, he holding within himself, and all of these things compile. Also with, you know, coupled with being treated like a second-class citizen, that affects the way that your parent interacts with you. And the relationship that you have with your parents, you know what I'm saying, like, that affects you. And how you come up and how you may treat your own children unless you're able to step back when well, you know the history when you're able to put things in the full context because you know not to go off topic but you know today is mother's day and i haven't had the best relationship with my mother but i was able once i learned my history and learned you know how my mother was raised and what it meant to be black in america during that time and like all of this shit, i was able to put my mother in context and understand why she is emotionally abusive person because of the way that she came up. And it's like, that would affect me tremendously if I wasn't able to put that in context and know like my, my mom is the way she is because of X, Y, and Z that doesn't make it okay, but it allows me, you know what I'm saying? To understand and realize like, it's not you. It's just her situation. And it's like too often, people aren't able to deal and process. I mean, and even when you start dealing and process shit, being black in America, shit is constantly coming at your ass. So it's like, you could try to deal and process this, but then you got all this shit coming at you. Like, how does that, how does that help? And then how does, you know, like I said earlier, this, this idea and this, this, this concept that's perpetuated society that as men, you got to be strong and you can't cry. And you know what I mean? Like, how
1: did that affect the person? Yeah, it's um hold on one second when I get off. Um, you're right, like 'cause my like I said, the stuff that my dad had gone through, like one part of me could just have resented him, but I didn't because I just love him so much. Cause he looked like me, you know what I mean? I'm a weird dude, like I just love people. And the older I got, I started hearing his story. And he always said, I always say, Man, your daddy been through a lot. And you know, I'm 34. My dad had me when he was like 31, I think. And I, you know, just looking back on all this stuff, like, it, just, it was just hard. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not making an excuse for him, but like you said, putting it in the proper context. Like, none of us, we usually don't do that. We don't act. we know people are the way they are. We don't ask, why did they get this way or how did they get that way? You know, and I think we need to do that. And then that way we, we can even, you know, bridge some of those, those, uh, those gaps that we have, you know, between with, with, with us and family members. A lot of times, a lot of things deal with that person, you don't realize that person is, is so-called crazy because they've been hurt so bad. You know what I mean? Like, the stuff, stories my dad used to tell me about how he grew up, you know, because my grandma was mean. You know, one minute she can be the sweetest person in the world, next minute she can be real mean. She was mean to me. I used to think she didn't care for me at all. You know, but then started looking into her background. My grandma was born in 1927. You know, she was born, at the, yeah, this is one of the times, she was born in Mississippi you know, uh, so she already
0: in Mississippi, if you can't put put that in context, if you can't frame what that meant, then you are, you know, yeah, you automatically like, yeah, my grandma don't fuck with me.
1: But really, really, she fucked with
0: you as as much as she could, the best that she could.
1: Yeah, because she was like, I mean, just listen to her story, because my my my, my last name is Collier, C-O-L-L-I-E-R. You know, I didn't know that that was her, you know, that wasn't even my dad's father's last name. That was my grand. My grandma had like eight kids and her first four kids were by a man named John Collier. And, uh, he was, uh, really, really abusive and mean to her. You know, she got pregnant at 17 and she was married and, you know, he used to, on the if he used to hit her. I think he did a couple of times. I know he was very abusive, very mean and, you know, just talking real bad to her. And she ended up leaving him. And, um she ended up moving, uh, so she lived in she was living in East St. Louis, but before she moved to East St. Louis, I think she was living in Rockford, Illinois. Uh, and then I think she left there. That's where her husband was. Then she moved to Cairo, Illinois. And her dad was gonna help her out. But her dad said, you gotta you gotta do something with some of them kids. And so, you know, her dad was a real real mean man. His name was Arthur Wright. He was an African. He's half African, half Cherokee. yet black. I remember I met him before he passed. I was a little kid. He died in like in 1993 or 94. He's like ninety something years old. And uh he was very, very, very mean, you know, and that's one reason my grandmother was mean. Another reason was the stuff she had gone through. You know, her dad was mean to her because a lot of times black men become abusive to black women. You know, not because that's our nature, but it's because of the shit we learned, you know what I mean? And he mm-hmm. was real mean to my uh, my grandma. Nothing she did was right, y'all would call out a name, call it tramps and holes and stuff she was, she was a good woman. You know, she was with a man. She was married to him, but he had another family. She didn't know it, I think. And he was abusive, and it hurt her, and it cut her pretty deep. So she, you know, she just fled. She left because she, cause she refused with her father. That's so where you're supposed to go with your family, especially your dad. And he called out her name and made her feel like she was a harlot or something, you know. And then he he took like two of her kids away from her and said, take take the two oldest ones and let them live in Ohio with my sister. And then you keep you know, uh, the other two, actually it was three other, three other kids. And one of the, my other aunt, who I only met once, she, um, her father actually took her from my grandma and he raised her in St. Louis. And uh, then my grandma had my dad and my aunt. And so she split up the household. So now we got two kids that, that you know, she can't even raise them because her dad said, they got to get out of here. They got to go. You know, and that had an impact on my oldest aunt, who just passed a couple of years ago, she was in my grandma's just older. like
0: my family. That's crazy. Yeah, <laughs>
1: that's so that And on that side of the family, it seemed like everybody was dealing with some type of demons and some type of depression. And once I understood the backdrop of it, I got it. And my grandma, to an extent, was, was real mean to my dad. you know. And she didn't do it on purpose, but she'd been hurt so bad. you know. She out here struggling. She a black woman with really no education. She can only get jobs as a domestic, and she don't want to do this. You know, but this is this is a lot that she's been given. You know what I mean? And she's dealing with not only a racist society and a sexist society, but she's living and dealing with sexism uh, and misogyny in her own community from black men. And this ain't this is not natural from black men to do this thing. This is something that's been learned. You know, um, a lot of times I believe it's Francine he talks about these internecine fuge that we have. He's saying we so messed up from the outside, we turn in on each other. You know, mm-hmm. and that's a lot of a lot of times that was happening in my family. And but once again, just we tracing that story back, like I see why my dad was the way he was. You know and I mean, I see why he was always holding on the money because he didn't have none. You know, they were so poor. You know, he really he never had nice clothes at all. And it was all of them living in one house. You know what I mean? And my grandma was so protective of my of my dad and, and the rest of the kids because she did not want to go out and get killed. You know, because she knew what was out in those streets. And I just think we need to look in our family history and look in the context put everything that's all these behaviors in the context of world history. And then some of this stuff it makes sense. And the only reason and the only way people uh can actually, you know, overcome, you know, issues is that they first admit those issues exist. And then once you admit they exist, look at the origin of find a root. You know what I'm saying? And you cut the cut cut you cut you cut a tree off at of the root, you got a better chance. They're keeping that motherfucker, you know what I'm saying, from growing. As opposed to just sitting up and looking at the leaves and just, you know, picking your leaves off. It ain't the leaves that's the problem. It's the root. You got to dig deep. And I think we need to do that. You know what I mean? Like it shouldn't be no question about why black men dog out white, dog, why black men dog out black, black women. We got, we got the issue. It's a mental thing. It's a mental health issue because of how we messed up, so we look at how we dog our women out women. We come home from work. After you just been dog completely the fuck out by your, by your boss, and you can't do nothing about it, you're a black man, man you, you and you're working for these folks, you want to snap, but you can't because you gotta put food on the table. So then you go home and take it out on your woman, she loves you to death, and you can't see because you're so fucking frustrated. You know what I mean? Like-
0: It's a vicious cycle.
1: Yeah, the story I like to hear, Um, like from my grandma and them, how, when they lived in Mississippi, how it was normal for a white man to come in the house, and and just raped a, a, a black man's wife and the, and the man couldn't do shit about it. You know what I mean? So, so what you think it's going to do is that man, he's feeling helpless. He's castrated now. He don't feel like no real man. Part of being a man is protecting, you know, your family. So it's gonna try, it may drive this motherfucker to drink. Once he gets a drink, he's going to he come home and he's going to beat his wife. He loves her, but he's beating her because he's hurting. He don't know how to deal with it. I think we ought to do it. It's a good book on this, um, sh- showing how mental health is connected to you know social ills. Uh, it's a book Native Son by uh, Richard Wright. Mm-hmm. Just look at just just look at what 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 um Richard Wright puts into the mouth of Bigger. Look at look at what he's saying. Look what Bigger's saying. He's like, man, we can't. I can't have nothing. I can't do nothing. They don't. You know what I mean? Like you just almost feel hopeless. And we don't we don't pay attention to that shit. Everything is connected. You know what I'm saying? Like out of the old, you know, you hear brothers say like. uh, he you should brother outside, He's like, what's up, brother? I mean everything is everything. You know. Dr. Clark talked say, man, that's a, that's an African thing. You know, we're always a philosophical people. We speak in proverbs. You know, and it mean everything is everything. Everything that ever happens is connected. You know, like, like he says that if you throw one one pebble in the ocean, he said them, you know, them ripples are gonna go forever. Like it's gonna change the natural you know, the original state of that of their body water. So the same thing with mental health. Like shit happens in that your movie.
0: life Admitting you have a problem and too often we don't identify the problem and even if we do then we're in denial about it because depression is seen as a weakness and it's like too often we're just like, nah, i I ain't I ain't weak. I ain't depressed, but you are, and that affects your overall behavior, all of your relationships, whether it be familial, romantic, platonic, or whatever, because you dealing with this stuff. And we don't create enough space for, in my opinion, for black men to really feel or to admit that they're feeling something. And so it's like if you're holding all of that in, like, it's going to bubble. And once it bubbles, then, I mean, that can go a lot of different ways. But all of them are negative, you know. And it's like yeah. Speaking of cycles and malnutrition, it's like we often we get our eating habits from our parents, from our families. Like, you know, people always say it's genetic, and it's like, no, actually, those are just learned behaviors. You eat all of these things, and now you got diabetes because that's what you was raised up on. You you do this is what you eat, this is how you cook, or these are the places you go eat. Yep. When you when you don't know better, you don't do better. When you think that's when that becomes a norm, then how are you supposed to eat to live? When you were taught to eat to die, eat to be sick. Like
1: yeah.
0: so many of you know, I'm vegan now and I'm I'm trying to, you know, be better and dig deeper and learn more about, you know, Was natural, organic, and really trying to. And then when you an urban negro, (laughs) you know we supposed to be growing our own food because this shit that they be selling us is halfway some bullshit. But it's like it's hard because it's like the way this job is set up, (laughs) the way my time and my schedule and. All of this shit is like, it's hard to balance these things. And it's like, I know me coming from the South, it's like, so much shit is new to me. Brussels sprouts, avocados, like, you know, this ain't shit we ate at my my house. This ain't shit my mama cooked. My mama cooked, you know, every now and then. Like, my mama came, like, she was raised up as a sharecropper. And so they worked the problem oh, really? of the family. Yeah, yeah, man. Like, once I was really able to identify, like, yo, this is what the fuck is going on with my mother. Like, my grandfather um, had a ill relationship with his father. And I don't really know the meaning behind it that just because it's, it's just been lost in, in translation. But um, because of the relationship that he had with his father and his parents, he was mean as hell. Like, he raised my mom, like, you know, I joke about it sometimes, but, like, I mean, you know, share, sharecropping, that's like slavery. So,
1: Ain't no life slavery. That was slavery.
0: <laughs> so, you know, they lived on the, my family had land, like, a lot of fucking land. Um, When I saw a picture a few years ago that I had never seen, it was, like, my grandfather and some of his siblings, um together the to picture victorian style dress nice as fuck i'm just like wait a minute for you to be in rural, rural georgia dirt road back road but you dress nice in nice victorian shit and photographed in the early 20th century that mean y'all had some money and not only did they have money but my great-grandfather had land but because of the ill relationship between my grandfather and his father he went and lived on the white man's land that was right adjacent to the family's land. And they worked that. They worked that in order for them to maintain that that the house that was on that land. And then they worked several other white folks farm in the area. So it was like my mom never really got to go to school a lot because they had to get in the fields and do work. Like listening to my mom like, yo, me and your Aunt Connie went and tried to, you know, go to school or take a test one time. And daddy came up at school and tow our asses up. And dragged ass right back in that field. And it's like, so now you can't get my gr- my mama to, sh- to grow shit. She's not interested. I'm like, you don't know. She, she's completely repressing that part of her life. Like, I don't know. I Like, I'm just like, girl, you grew up growing and picking. The fuck you mean you can't? You know, she's not interested. She's repressing that part of her life because of that, that pain. um, And just, you know, the... The hardness of that shit, like soon as they were, like my grandmother, like I said, she had like kind of three sets of kids because she had kids before she met my grandfather. And then the story is he was so mean, he ran her ass away. So then she moved into the city limits and had some more kids. And it's like that affected all three sets of these these children and the, the separation and the anger of like why my mama left me, why she kept them, why she did this. And it's like, so I have so much addiction and, you know, and anger and all of this brokenness in my family. And it wasn't until I was able to put it in a larger context to understand it, like, my aunt are a drunk because, <laughs> you know what I mean? My, like, my mama was once upon a time an addict because they're hurting that pain that they were never really able to get out and address. And it's like, I got some uncles, man. They ain't, like, they not recovering. Like, they just keep. Backsliding and it's because as black men, life be coming at you. And then you got responsibilities and you got all this shit and then you fail and then you just turn into this spiral and your your nutrition is bad because you've been eating all of this shit, you know.
1: Yeah, we, we, we we're in a we're in a bad state. And we need to get out of this shit. And In the age of information,
0: it's time to 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 get up, get out and do something, because it's so much information out here now, um, to help you identify what you might be going through, to help you trace your roots, to help you look up some shit and figure out something. Like, it's on us, and it's on us to you know to really hold the people we love accountable, and hold them up, and if we see something, say something help them, encourage them along the way, like, because that's so real. Like, too often we don't align, like you said, your roommate, your partner, like, he failed, and he felt, you know, like, he was a failure, and then he was forced into a space that he, you know, didn't want to be in, while everybody else was out living their life like it was golden. At least that's the way it seemed from his angle. And then he just ate himself into, you know, more with obesity. And coming out of that is even difficult.
1: Yeah, the, the dopest thing is like, cause, you know, I, I used to always tell myself, bro, you my first real fat ass friend. You know what I mean? He, <laughs> you know, he, even though we're 11 years apart, you know, we living in one bed. I'm like, bro, you my first fat ass friend. I'm just watching the new fat people shit. You know, like, not regular fat people. I mean, fat, fat people shit. Like, nigga, something wrong with your ass, fat people shit. And when I finally, I, I happened to ask him one day, and he said that shit, it's like, my whole perspective changed, you know what I'm saying, and my approach changed. And so anytime I caught him, like, falling into a stupor, it was time kind of, 'cause because right now, he actually, I can say this unequivocally, he's the hottest young comedian in the country right now. Now, of course, we got Kevin Hart and all them people, but him to just really be getting started, he's doing more in comedy in the last year than most folks have done in a 20-year career. And I remember before the break had come, before he got his break, Y'all remember telling him, I'm like, man, would you get the fuck up and get out this fucking house? And we went in this room in the, uh, in the Bronx for his Dominican family. I'm like, if you don't get the fuck up out of this house, I'm like, bro, go wash your clothes. Like, he wasn't washing his clothes. And he was just standing in the house, laying in the bed, you know, and we were confined to that one room. And I'm like, bro, I'm getting, him going to work. As I to go to work, I go lift weight. Then I go hang out at the comedy club and, you know, come on like two or three in the morning. And this motherfucker sometimes will be in the house all day. I'm like, bro, would you get the fuck up? Your socks, stink. all this shit was to get on my nerves. And I didn't realize what he, what he was going through. Number one, he didn't have any money. Number two, his mom was going through something, something pretty bad. His grandfather was, you know, on dialysis, about to die. And just dealing with all of this stuff. And I was like, bro, you got to get up. I said, like, like, I've been through that depression before. I said, no joke. I said, if you don't get up, it's going to suffocate you. And I say, like, even if I get to give you the money, just go wash your fucking clothes. Go take your shit to the laundromat. All I got here, go ten dollars. Go go get some food. You know, I pay for you. I pay for your food. Just meet me meet me 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 one hundred sixteen minutes in Linux. You know, I'll go get some Indian food. You know, he and I got him out of the house, and then he's I appreciate. You know, had I not recognized that, had I not gone through my own depression, I probably wouldn't be able to get him out of that. He would either went home or he would, even would killed himself. You know what I mean? And I always happy. Once you if you once you feel that 'cause that like that moment when I was going through my depression, it literally felt like I was drunk. I really felt like I was like high or something. Like it was like it wasn't just my being sad. It felt like a heavy spirit just rested and you know, just had set up camp in my in my body. Like and I still remember that that feeling, you know what I'm saying, visiting. You know, and had I not had that experience I wouldn't have been able to get him out of it. And look at him now. You know, that's why I tell people, when you're going through depression, man, like, I sit back now and, and every year I always, you know, um, give praise to the most high and the ancestors and for getting me out of my situation. And I'm the best thing about it is I can keep on counting them days. Like, hey, it's been 10 years, it's been 11 years, it's been 12 years. It's like I always remember my anniversary. And I don't know where you're going to ever have an anniversary um, up, um, in regards to your triumphs is if you keep fighting. You know, like, if you quit, it ain't going to be no anniversary. Now, other people are going to say, yeah, my, my man killed himself or he died on this day five four, five years ago. Or it could be the other way around. It could be, man, 20 years ago, man, I decided to kick depression in the ass. And now I'm here. Like, I was on TV just two weeks ago. And I'm like, damn. Bro, I remember where I was, you know, in 2005. And on a, on, uh, you know, in April or March or February 2005, like, where I was like walk, walk a walking fucking zombie. But I made it out of it, you know what I mean? But the only way I made it out of it is I kept fighting. A lot of us give up. We commit suicide. We're going to do some antisocial, you know, act like killing somebody. You know? That or is we is key. You know,
0: That's why we yeah. have to talk about it more, because we have to, even if it's not for ourselves, for the people that we love and for the people we surround ourselves with, we have to be able to see that it's something that they're going through and help them up out of that. Because if you don't recognize it and they don't realize it and they just continue this, this downspiral, then the next thing you know, it's like, damn, I I, I didn't know he was going to kill himself, but there were signs that maybe we ignored or avoided or was just like, Oh, he lazy. Or she, you know, she lazy. She just don't want to do shit for herself, but you know, if you've known her or him or whoever long enough, then you know that's not really who they are. And that's yeah. a sign for you to you know what I'm saying, help lift them up and it's it's like you know one of my one of my coworkers like it's kind of sad cuz I still work there. Like he he graduated last May and um He got a new job, and so it was like, you know, yes, and he moved. He was like, I'm moving up to Baltimore. My rent is cheaper, you know, whatever. And it's like maybe some signs that I ignored, like the times that he didn't come to work. And that probably was days that he just couldn't get up because he was just stuck in his phone and probably filled with that heavy spirit of, you know, like depression. And it's like... Had I just, you know, not rolled it off my back and was thinking, oh, he, you know, Michael out doing, you know, like whatever instead of coming to work, when really, you know, Michael did more work (laughs) at work than I did, and it's like, I when he passed, I originally didn't know what happened, um, because you know we didn't have a lot of mutual friends, but it, you know, some of my coworkers uh, from my old department, uh. Finally, he said on Facebook, like, oh, you see this, this popped up. Some of his really close friends had um, entered, like, this race or, you know, one of those campaigns to raise money for suicide and awareness in his honor. And I'm like, damn, he killed himself. Um, And too often, we like to sweep it under the rug and we don't want to say, you know, Johnny or Janie may kill herself. You know what I'm saying? We want to be like, oh, well, she she was, you know, let's just be honest and real and open so that we can, you know, prevent others from sliding in. And it's like, man, I, I kind of remember my anniversary. Like, I used to be suicidal because of the emotional abuse and trauma that I experienced as a child. And then, you know, just not really dealing with that. And a lot of stuff coming at me, finances, fucking up. I feel like I'm a failure love and everything is just, you know, crumbling around me. Man let me tell you, Cook County got me together real quick. Um, uh-huh. You went to jail? <laughs> no, I didn't go to jail, but I ended up in Psycho. I I used you know, I, I lived on twenty seventh in Indiana on the low end. And uh Mercy Hospital is like right there. Literally down the street from my fucking house. And I ended up on Psycho because i was looking i was trying i had got so low that i had disappeared and to this day like i was just so out of it i can't even tell you like where i was or where i went but i was gone for days like all my friends my mama everybody had to start a whole fucking watch party the police came and found me i told them i didn't want them to, to tell people where i know but they was like listen your family just wanted to know that you're alive and I was just out of it. Like I think I was in the car, like somewhere random in Indiana, maybe when they found me. I don't even fucking know. I I was so out of it that I don't even know. So when I came back, I was just like, yo, I don't ever want to be that low again. I need some counseling or some something to help me balance my shit and get my life together because I don't want to go back there. One of my homegirls, cause you know mental health shit in Chicago is fucked up. So one of my homegirls. Um, who was a psych major at Howard and at the Chicago School of Psychology? I'm like, yo, can you help me? She like, I'm give me a few days. I'm gonna find a place. Another one of my friends was like, oh, if you call the suicide hotline, then they know all the resources. I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> they would know the resources. Man, I called them and that white lady backed me into the fucking corner. I end up on fucking psych hold 36 hours. The worst 36 mm. hours of my fucking life. Um. But I, it was like one of those, like, the only way that I got out and the only reason why I'm probably not fucking crazy and on psychotropic medication right now is because I watched a lot of TV as a kid. So, you know, you've seen all of them damn sitcoms and shit where that one person got accidentally walked into the psych ward in the hospital and they thought they was a patient. And then you got to play mm-hmm. the game to get out. So I told myself, like, girl, you got to play the game to get out this motherfucker because if not, you're going to be stuck. So I played the game and got out. But even when I was in there, that shit broke me down so bad. And I started feeling so fucking crazy because everybody around me was already fucked up. And it was like a jail, like a prison. Like the shit, they, the little shitty ass toothbrush. I'm like, this is what they give people at the state prison. I just know it. Water, ice cold. You can't take a warm bath, warm nothing. Like it was just insane. And I was sitting in there like, yo, I have a bachelor's degree from D. Howard University. I'm like halfway towards my master's in the middle of my master's research project. And these motherfuckers got me in her coloring pictures. What in the fuck? Oh, in addition to the fact that I could see my apartment out the fucking window. I was going crazy. But I played the game and I got out of that shit. And it's like, I'm not going back there. And so it's like, I see the signs when they're coming. When I see other people, you know, I try to lift them up and brace them like, yeah, you, you got to get up. You got to get out of this. You got to change something. We got to change this. Let me help you. Because too often I think we put people aside. Like you said, we don't approach people correctly. We're like, oh, this nigga, he lazy as fuck. He don't want to do shit. He ain't about shit. He is, but he just can't help himself right now. Because he got to be pulled out of that space. And it's like, we got to have more of these conversations. We have to be aware of the shit that people are up against. And we really have to put you know, shit in full context when we, when we looking at things, because when you, when you just looking at it from, you know, one point of view on a minuscule level, like we miss so much shit. But, um, black men, you know what I'm saying? And I, and I commend you brother because I know you love black people and people in general and and you are a loving guy. And it's like, like you said, Hey, man, your boy, when he might not be in this place, if you weren't able to be like, oh, shit, listen, you just need a booth. <laughs> Instead of me just, yeah, you know, yeah. abandoning you and letting you go. You know what I'm saying? Like, we got to lift each other up because it's hard out here being black.
1: Yeah, I remember literally, I'm like, bro, what the hell is wrong with you? And he had this, when he finally started telling me that, I felt bad So I'm like, I didn't even pay attention to this. You know what I mean? I'm just sitting there, for, I'm looking at his, his his action, as opposed to looking at what's causing these actions. You know what I mean? Because sometimes I'm a strong dude for the most part. Sometimes I'll be, I be forgetting that, you know, I'm going a circle and other people not. i am just forgetting, you know, to, to look and realize that they're going through some shit. You know, he was going through something, I'm talking about something heavy, you know? And like we, like his mom, like his mom had gone through something serious and you know, um, he was like, you know, worry about my mom. I'm going to go home. I'm like, nah, we should start like this state. You know, and I remember just literally that one day I was I like, bro, go wash your clothes. I said, like, go take a shower and go wash your clothes. And he told me, he said, bro, I really appreciate that, man. He's like, I needed that. You know what I'm saying? Like, if you're going through some depression, do not stay in the fucking house. Get up and go do something, man. Don't go kill nobody. Just go do something else, man. <laughs> Like, get the fuck up. Cause you, like when I was sick, I was, I was literally, I was lay in the bed like, I was just laying in my dorm room at all times. I remember, uh, Spring Break 20, uh, 2005. Um, you know, everybody, all everybody, everybody in school had gone, going down to Panama City for Spring Break, uh, when we were at fifth grade, And I couldn't go, cause I was, you know, I was mad, cause my mom had got my refund check, you know, and she spent all the money. She didn't give me any of it to go, go down, and so I was mad about it. But I'm glad I didn't, cause I probably got even more sick. But, um, you know, I was just going through it. And it was, you talking about, I don't know how the hell, I'm, I don't know how I got in this situation. I don't know how the hell I'm going to get out there. You know, like, I'm going to give you something else. Like, when I first moved, if y'all get a chance, go on my Instagram, Willie Lynch, underscore Jr. and go all the way back to about a year and a half ago when I first moved to New York. You'll see a lot of photos of me taking pictures of homeless people and making fun of them. Then I want you to go back and just keep looking forward. You know I don't do that shit no more. I started to put them in the proper context. Yeah, these people are funny, kind of to an extent, they're weird. I'm like, why are they don't have to beg and why are they sleeping on the train, pee on themselves, you know, this, that, and the other. And I just sat back and thought for a quick second. I was like, number one, this is somebody's son, this is somebody's daughter, possibly somebody's father, somebody's uncle, you know, Um, and they got here on, on, on one of these roads. They it, it, it took a road and they got to this place that they're at right now not that. I that. Mean, when you talk okay. to a
0: lot of homeless people, man, they'll tell you shit like, oh, you know, I, I went to Harvard or I went to Tuskegee or, you know, random shit. And I'm like, man, get your lying and, ass out of here, But yeah. The reality is, they did all of that shit. I saw, I'm about I saw the a people. post the, the other day. Go ahead. I saw, I saw a post the other day where um, I can't think of his name, but the brother used to, um, I think he was a drummer or some shit for Carlos Santana. Mm-hmm. And like, some dude, you know, like was just randomly, I guess, asking homeless people, you know, like questions or whatever. And um, he was talking to the dude and he was like, oh, yeah, I used to do this and I used to do that. And I used to be, you know, I used to be in the band, like Carlos Santana's original band. And so the man was like, yeah, you know, whatever. I guess he went home and Googled that shit and found out he was, in fact, in Carlos Santana's band. And he found one picture that exists of him, you know, and then he's like, yeah, that's him. He ended up, um, like, contacting Carlos Santana, and he came out there and, like, reconnected with the brother, like, yeah, this is my motherfucking drummer. And I was like, yo, that, like, that's crazy. And for me, the funny thing about it is I used to overstep and bypass homeless people all the time, but it was um, something Father Flegger said one time because you know, sometimes when I when I'm when I'm in Chicago, I'm at the crib but I go to Saint Sabana. Just because I think Father Flake is like one of the, you know, trillest white people I know. So in his message he was like so I was out, you know, wherever the other day doing outreach and I spoke to one of the brothers I see all the time and he told me to take this message back to everybody. Matter of fact, Father Flake was at Howard when he said this shit. He come to Howard once a year. And he was like, um Tell them, don't ignore me because I'm a human too. And so it's like, you know, before I used to side step their ass and look the other way, you know, because you scared they're going to ask you for some money or some shit. And it's like, you can very mm. well tell them no, but at least acknowledge their presence because they're humans too. And
1: they're they like, all have stories. Really, they, <laughs> like not even just like you said, the dude used to talk with Carlos Santana. I'm just sitting back looking at regular people who didn't do any of that shit. Like, I be be forgetting certain things. I'm in Harlem, and I forgot that sometimes we don't even think. Like, these people sitting here strung out and stuff, we be forgetting that heroin hit Harlem real bad in the 70s. Then crack came out in the 80s and 90s. And, like, them people, most of a lot of them didn't die. They still out there. You know what I mean? And I'm sitting there looking, I'm like, man... Like, and you know, because I got friends, but one guy, he wasn't even a friend of mine, I just knew him, went to high school with him, and he's walking up and down the street, and he's St. Louis, just gone because somebody, you know, uh, laid some weed or something or put something in his drink. Another dude used to play ball, with, uh, I mean, one of the best ball players in the city, You named Tyree. Uh, I used to remember, and it was a running joke at one point in time, but now it's not even funny. They used to, I used to remember Tyree when I was a junior in high school. He'd be dribbling the basketball. He's cute basketball with him at all the time. He'd be dribbling the ball up and down, uh, up and down State Street and uh, the Main Street in St. Louis. And all of a sudden, one day, he stopped dribbling that basketball. He started dribbling the soccer ball. And you know, he'd be like, "Yeah, Tyree out there messed up, but we seventeen, 18, You know what I'm saying? And he got strung out. You know, still out there, just gone. You know, he was like, "This was somebody. Somebody. He had a life, and we don't know what's for." Instead of making fun of him, he'd be like, "Look, this, this was some real shit happened." And I think in, in uh, conclusion, because I gotta get out of here. Uh, Cause baby's FaceTiming and I think um, we gotta pay t- pay more attention to this, and we gotta be open with it. You know, um, listen to folks. I remember posting, you know, last September when I had to leave. Actually, last August I was leaving Chicago to go back to New York, um, and you know, staying by the baby, and it, I was just boohooing and in tears. And you know, I'm very transparent Absolutely. with my fans, so I posted a picture on Instagram, and it went to my Facebook and everything. And you know, a lot of people, you know trying to give me words of encouragement then one of my own girls who's a comedian, my home girl Ashima, Ashima Franklin, she told she she's like, man, the fuck up, nigga. And, and part of it was funny, but I almost cursed out for it. You know, and I think we need to pay attention to that too, because you can't when somebody's you know what I'm saying, obviously, you know, like reaching out to cry for help, you gotta pay attention to it. You know what I mean? Like ain't gonna gonna post no shit like that name serious and like I, I one of my homeboys we weren't really close at all, but we went to fifth together. Uh, he just committed suicide, maybe about a month and a half ago. Uh, Marcel Brooks. His dad was senior Brooks, who taught Spanish at, uh, at fifth. Uh, he got his, his master's degree from uh, Vanderbilt. His undergrad from fifth, and uh, I want to say he had like one or two master's degrees. And I know he wrote his master's thesis on the Moors in Spain because once again he was a Spanish major. Um, uh, so I was always—I really wanted to get you know sit down and rap with him, read his uh, thesis. And uh, he ended up passing like a year and a half ago from cancer, and his wife died. And then I don't know if that, you know, uh, pushed my man to kill himself, but he killed himself about two months ago. And a lot of times we see people posting these things on Facebook where they tell me how sad they are, and we don't reach out to people because sometimes we think they just want some attention. Sometimes they do want attention, but they want attention so somebody can help save them. Because I showed, you know I almost killed myself, and I mean, I knew I was ready to end. You don't go from having all these talents to, to, you know, having a decent life to losing all them fucking talents and now your shit is just destroyed. And I remember people used to laugh at me. And, you know, I'm like, bro, y'all don't, you, you, you shouldn't you laugh. I'm like, well, that's what Dave Chappelle said. You should never call somebody crazy. He said, you just don't know what the hell they're going through. You know, uh, I I um I do this just part of my set when I'm on stage. You know, so I do kind of maybe at the seven to eight minute mark of my set I tell the crowd, I, I said, y'all need to laugh because somebody fucked up in here tonight. Somebody going through some shit. And then I was like, if somebody said right now, I'm about to get evicted. But they said, if I don't go home, the shit ain't going to happen. You know, uh, but I, just keep, I keep on going. I remember been uh, last... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I remember I remember coming coming. to uh, Chicago at Joe Snow's last summer and after the show. And I did my thing that night. After the show, this lady came up to me. She said, I really appreciate what you're saying. She said, people going through something. She said, my husband, you know, he's dying of cancer right now. You know, um, then at my show in Atlanta, the same weekend, Cat Williams was me a uh, two months ago. There was a sister out there, good looking, you know, uh, but she had a cane. He was she young sister. You know, She walk on a cane, and she was like, she's like, You was right when you said somebody needs these legs. she She's like, Cause I, didn't have, I got all types of cancer in my body. That I'm trying to get out. You know, so we never know what somebody's going through. So we should always, you know, do, one of the things we need to do besides, you know, deal with our own mental issues, we need to actually fall back in love with humanity. You know, fall back in love with, 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 with people because everybody's fucked up out here. And you should never dismiss what somebody's going through because it's real. You know, you're having a cool with somebody. I mean, it, there's a lot of people out here just doing bad. You know, sometimes we think we're doing bad. And years have somebody else store. You know, like I was going through something. I think I, I just knew I had auditioned for MTV's Wildin' Out. I've auditioned for things before, and I didn't do that. With them. I'm like, yeah, I know they're going to book that shit. But I just knew I, I was going to book Wildin' Out cause I killed that hard. And I didn't get it. So I'm dejected because I didn't get it. And I found out that one of my first girlfriends, who was a friend since preschool, you know, she gets in a, uh, uh, a car accident. And, you know, she, you know, loses three limbs. You know what I mean? So you never know what the hell somebody's going through. So in conclusion, I get out of there. Mental health is something serious we didn't pay attention to or talk about it. And talk about the causes of it. Once you talk about the causes of it, it's easy to attack this thing and get rid of it. And then it's easy for us to move on. We got so much, so many things we need to do. We, we gotta rebuild us and our people. We don't have no time to be sad and depressed. And once we get down like that, and then once we see a brother or sister down like that, you gotta pick them up. You know, no matter the cost, pick them up. Because it's, you know, we need, we need everybody we can to help us get back on our feet. So I thank y'all for y'all a little punk ass time. Uh and I gotta go. I
0: appreciate you. Uh, last last little thing, um tell people your Instagram, your Facebook, your website, all that shit where they can find you at.
1: Um, um, my Instagram is Willie Lynch underscore J R. Same thing on my Twitter, Facebook. Um, just go to my website, WillieLynchJunior.com, dot com and you can get to all my stuff. Um, and then if you get a chance, leave go to my website. Um click on the link that says Willie speaks and actually you get to see me talking about you know what happens to me with my battle, my battle with depression. Uh, you get to see it in a written form. Uh, but y'all, uh, stay encouraged, man. Uh, stay blessed, stay black. And, um, keep right. Cause you know, it's a part of, it's a part of, you know, mental health. Um, you know, just talk about it, talk about it with some friends and family and nothing else, especially people of African extract. Um, one reason why we gotta keep on fighting is because we even though we, we, we we're we going through some shit right now, I don't think anything is comparable or parallel or tantamount to our ancestors being in those, you know, slave ships and getting off of those slave ships, even getting on them. Like that was the worst of the worst hell. And they went you talking about some depression and trauma. Come on man. Five hundred years of that shit and just imagine the ones that stuck around that didn't commit suicide. You know what I mean? Like we got to live for them. You know, we we are the, the 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 ones that our ancestors prayed for. So, you know, y'all stay encouraged, man. Peace, y'all. Willie Lynch Jr. And bounce when you say that. dig? peace. Bye bye.